Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. When I lived in Los Angeles in the late 90s, a Nigerian friend of mine invited me to a celebration he was hosting. He prepared a delicious meal, pounded yam, jollof rice, pepper stew. It was amazing. As I was getting down on my second plate, I noticed that there was only one meat dish, some oxtail stew. My friend told me that meat is rarely eaten in his village because it's hard to come by and because it's just better for you not to eat much meat in the first place. So I thought I would try it out go vegetarian for a little while and see how I felt. I have to say it felt fantastic for three weeks at least until I had a fat burger. But that experience showed me that the benefits of vegetarianism are great and it also helped me understand why people choose it. Later this hour, we'll meet folks who eat vegetarian for bodily and spiritual health. But first, it's time for Add Us. Each week, we take time to read the comments so you don't have to, yes, I am encouraging you to literally at us on Twitter at This Is Nashville, on Instagram at This Is Nashville underscore WPLN, and at WPLN News on Facebook. Joining me now with a look back at the past week is our digital lead, Anna Gallegos Cannon. Hey, Anna, happy belated birthday, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, it's always good, glad to be back in studio. This is awesome. Okay, so we're going to get right to it. I understand you've got a correction to make to start off this Thursday afternoon. Is that right? Yes, and I'll totally admit that this was entirely my bad. Okay. So earlier in the month, uh, Katie Reardon joined us from our sister station, WKNO, to explain the push to change and modernize Tennessee's HIV uh, criminalization laws. So after her interview, I wrote up a web post, and in it, I wrote that um, a bill designed to change parts of those laws passed in the state Senate along party lines recently. Um, um, I got an email from a listener named Jim, who is actually one of the lobbyists who represented Nashville Cares in the last leg legislative session. Hmm. And he pointed out that I was wrong. Um, and I just want to clarify that the, the bill did have support from both parties, um, but it didn't pass in the House. Uh, in the email, Jim wrote saying that, quote, this was an issue that both parties saw value in addressing. So it's not a partisan issue. And you know what? I just wanted to clear that up on the air, especially considering how divided politics are right now. Exactly. I mean, look, we can take bipartisan efforts whenever we get them because they are few and far between. Yep. OK, on the topic of politics on Tuesday, during our episode on peer support for people navigating mental health care and recovery, we got an interesting question. Jay Knight tweeted at This Is Nashville and asked, is funding peer support the burden of the taxpayer? Anna, do you have an answer for Jay? Yeah, so I really wanted to look, look into this. And, you know, I wouldn't necessarily use the word burden, but yes, peer support is definitely something that our tax dollars support. Um, Tennessee has a peer support specialist certification that's managed by the state's Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Disorders. That department also helps nonprofits around the state with resources and funding for their peer support programs. We only touched on a few types of peer support in Tuesday's episode, but the state also hosts programs dedicated to families, young adults, and there's even a peer support hotline that they have set up. And there is a link um, to 
excuse me, there is a link on the episode post at thisisnashville.org for those who want to learn more about the various programs that's going on in the state. Nice. Okay. What else? Well, there is one more correction we have to make, kind of, sort of, but um, we sort of failed one of our listeners. Oh, no. <laughs> what happened? So, you know, Monday's show was all about tomatoes. Yes, in honor of the Tomato Art Fest. <laughs> right. So during that show, um, one of our dedicated listeners named Matthew Bond tweeted at us and said, quote, it's a good episode. But you, uh, but if you don't play Guy Clark, then you have failed. <laughs> okay. We can make up for that, I think. Of course. So, obviously, during that episode, we did not play Guy Clark on Monday. So, I thought we go on, we go on out on Guy Clark's homegrown tomato song today. And you know what? This one's for you, Matthew. Nice. Ain't nothing in the world that I like better than bacon and lettuce and homegrown tomatoes. Up in the morning, out in the garden, get you a ripe one, don't get a hard one. Plant them in the spring, eat them in the summer. All winter without them's a culinary bummer. I forget all about the sweating and digging every time I go out and pick me a pig. Homegrown tomatoes, homegrown tomatoes. What'd life be without homegrown tomatoes? Only two things that money can't buy, and that's true love and homegrown tomatoes. Well, you can go out to eat. And that's for sure But it's nothing the homegrown tomato won't cure Put them in a salad, put them in a stew You can make your very own tomato juice You can eat them with eggs, you can eat them with gravy Eat them with beans, pinto or navy Put them on the side, put them in the middle Put a homegrown tomato on a hot cake griddle Homegrown tomatoes, homegrown tomatoes What'd life be without homegrown tomatoes? Only two things that money can't buy What would I be without homegrown tomatoes? Thanks to our digital lead, Anna Gallegos Cannon, for this roundup. Anna, we'll see you soon. Of course. And our listeners know where to find me online and send me your food-related song suggestions. Yes, please. (laughs) Don't forget to add us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and let's keep the comments coming. Also, fill out our community survey to let us know what topics you want us to cover at thisisnashville.org. It's super easy and quick and helps us produce shows with your needs and interests in mind. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn some of the religious and spiritual reasons behind eating a plant-based diet. Are you a vegetarian? What has the experience been like for you? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Out in Arlington, Tennessee, about three hours west of Nashville, there's an unassuming farm and pasture. But it's no ordinary farm. It's a cow sanctuary, and one of only a few of its kind here in the U.S. S3 Goshala is home to 150 gear cows and bulls. Their mission is to protect the cows and spread a message of kindness. S3 Goshala has big plans to add a meditation center, to practice organic and Ayurvedic agriculture, 
and even create a college. Plus, they're hoping to expand and start a small cow sanctuary right here in Nashville. Until then, our producer, Tasha A.F. Lemley, took a trip out west to see and feel what a Goshala is all about. Come on! Lakshmi, come on! It's snack time at S3 Goshala. You can tell Tandu Purushottam has called in these cows many, many times. Come on! See how they come. They know that this is banana time. You, you know, if you are, uh, you know, whistling, that means they know that uh, they got some bananas uh, through some guests. Dozens of cows come across the field, and they press in, craning their necks to get at the bananas. You can see the weight of their collective force on the fence. It's pretty intimidating. According to our scriptures, wherever you live, you should have Indian cows. If you don't have Indian cows, that is the indication that you are living in hell. Goseva, or cow service, is primarily a Hindu practice. It includes feeding and caring for cows, and of course, abstaining from eating them. By doing only Goseva, it will add value to all other good things. So if you really want to progress in spirituality, religion, as a human being, as a family member, as an employee, this is the first and foremost thing. Like, without food, we cannot survive. Without uh, Goseva, we cannot progress. So this will give a peaceful success in the life. So visitors come out to the Goshala for Goseva, for meditation, just to get away. Priya Anand, a yogi from Spring Hill near Nashville, she came out today for a visit. My understanding about the significance of cows in our tradition is that they've always been a symbol of mother. So just like mother gives everything to her children, our ancestors used to rely on cows for cow's milk. They made ghee, they made butter, yogurt. The cow would plow their fields, they used the manure for fuel. So it only made sense that they had this relationship with cows. And I think that's something we're missing in our lives today. We don't have a relationship with nature. Nature gives us so much, and we don't have this um, relationship of gratitude. And our ancestors had that. They knew it. So we, as modern people, we look at it as kind of superstition, like we don't understand. Like, why are they putting flowers on a cow? Why in Delhi they used to let cows walk around? But when you think about how much they were getting from cows, it makes so much sense. These baby cows share their mothers with us because their mothers give milk to them and they give milk to us too and that makes us family so we forget that like other creatures are our brothers and sisters too priya says she was raised to see milk as pure and holy and the way cows are often treated makes her really sad but that this place getting to visit and even say thank you to cows is a healing experience i don't know why i'm getting so emotional it just made me feel more connected to um, my own mother, um, to the Divine Mother, who is to Mother Earth. Lately, I've just been feeling very disconnected. So getting to um, hug the little mother cows was really special. I'd like to introduce my guests, 
Hemanth Rangarajan, and Tebodros Munaye. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. Thank you. So thanks. To, I really appreciate you guys being here. Now, Hemanth, how have you been to Gaushala? Yes, I've been to a Gaushala here in Nashville. Um, and, you know, Dara just sent me one in Memphis as well. That's the one that I haven't visited, but... <laughs> Uh, I have been to one in Nashville and various others, you know, other parts of the world. So tell me how cow protection, tell me how that's important to those of the Hindu faith. Yeah, I mean, um, to me, you know, uh, if you take religion out of it for a second, right, uh, it's more of a, you know, a humanity aspect mm. uh, to it, right? So humanity finds expression in uh, various aesthetics. Uh, and this is one of the ways that, you know, Hindus find, you know, when, when you think about cows themselves, right, um, incredible machines, right, like you feed grass on one end and then there's milk, right? Uh, traditionally, there used to be, like Priya was saying earlier, some kind of uh, uh, emotional connection that used to happen in and around, you know. Um, I think we live in a times where everything is in abundance, food is in abundance and, you know, everything is easily accessible, right? And if you live... Uh, if you hear the people who uh, survived the Great Depression, for example, you always hear them saying, okay, debt is bad. You know, we have experienced this. You know, they have gone through some experiences. So these are people probably uh, who went through some kind of a famine kind of experience. And, you know, there's nothing you can grow, nothing you can access to, mm -hmm. uh, you have access to. So uh, at that time, if you ended up having a cow in your household, your children can survive, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so there is always that emotional bonding. You know, growing up in India, you know, during my summer vacations, I always used to visit my grandmom, and there was this uh, tradition of naming all of your cows, right? So through that, you know, either, uh, usually I always wonder, like, why are they naming the cows like this? Like either Lakshmi or Ganga, either it's named after a deity or it's named after a river, which is nourishing and life-giving. So people kind of, you know, build this emotional connection with this animal, uh, which nourishes them in, in a lot of ways, right? And then there's a lot of uh, scriptural representations that, that you also hear as well. So, so from that perspective, Hindus have been worshipping cows for a very, very long time. So your, your vegetarianism is very connected to your faith, right? That is correct. So, in uh, you know, I must accept, you know, uh, it was not a choice for me, uh, but something that I really love. So I was born into a Hindu Brahmin family where, you know, uh, several generations have been practicing vegetarianism, right? What does it mean to you to be Brahmin? Uh, it means uh, we, you know, in the process of evolution, you know, from animals, you know, we are now humans. And how do you uh, evolve further to go towards the divine, right? So that's what, that's what, so this evolution process that has been taking place, you know, there is no need to stop it. And we need to keep evolving as better and better humans. So we are closer to the divine. That's what it means. Continuity evolution. I like that. Now, Teddy, from what I understand, you practice Ethiopian orthodoxy. Tell me, how does your faith affect the way you eat? Uh, thank you, Khalil. Uh, the religion I'm practicing, which is the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, influences my way of living. In particular, the way I eat uh, is also influenced by my faith. Uh, there are some restrictions in general that the Ethiopian Orthodox Church or the Bible, uh, you know, hinders us to eat, including pork. We, we don't eat pork in general, but when it comes to vegetarian foods, it depends on 
the time of the year. Uh, there are different times of the year that uh, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church uh, fasts or declares as a fasting period. Mm-hmm. Each have its own significance. And during this time, uh, it's not only just the vegetarian food. We are not allowed to eat any animal product, including eggs, cheese, milk. So it's going to be completely vegetarian in fruits that we eat. You're in. You're doing in the middle of a 16-day fast right now, right? Yes, yes. Okay, so how's that been going for you? It's been going on great. And uh, this gives me a chance to compare myself a few days ago and now. Before I started the fasting, I was doing everything. It whenever I want to before even I feel hungry, drink whatever I want, whenever I want, including, you know, you know, liquors and something like that. Mm-hmm. But when I fast, I'm completely clear from that. The fasting doesn't only uh, stop me from not eating those animal products, but I have to also bypass pro, uh, breakfast and lunch sometimes. Mm-hmm. And one major thing uh, during this time is it it reminds me of people who are really hungry. When I feel hungry, I'm a breakfast eater. I usually eat good breakfast, and I sometimes pass, bypass lunch. But when the time around 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock arrives, I really start to feel hungry. At this time, it reminds me of the people out there, billions of people who are deprived, deprived of a single drop of milk, and, you know, a slice of bread. So the fasting always not only helps me gain my spiritual benefit, but also it reminds me of other people out there who don't have anything to eat. And it gives you gratitude as you recognize and pay attention to other people's suffering. Yes, yes, it does. From what you're both explaining, it feels to me like there are more than just the physical benefits to your diets, that there's a deep spiritual growth that occurs as well. Um, you know, Hamon, tell me a little bit more about how, you know, when you, with your diet, how it really enhances your spirituality. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we all have heard this saying, like, you know, you are what you eat. Yeah. So people always believe that, okay, there is a physical connotation to it. So you're eating food, it's getting digested. Um, but there is also this belief um, from, you know, from a religion point of view and also from experiences from various other uh, people who lived that, you know, it influences your mind, right? And with spirituality, there is a strong connection to your mind. You're trying to discipline your mind and you are trying to uh, get rid of some of the tendencies that you do not want yourself, be it an animal tendency or some other kind of tendencies, right? Um, so you have to create an environment that is conducive to condition your mind and vegetarian food is supposed to be the one that really helps you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Teddy, how does what Heymont is sharing, how does that resonate with you? It, it's, it's completely, it, it's, it's fascinating that we live very far apart from one another, but when it comes to the things that the Indians or my Indian friend does and what I do, always spiritually uh, brings us together as one. Most Americans have a pretty heavily meat-based diet. It's a part of the culture here. I wonder what type of conversations you both are having with your colleagues and friends. Like, Teddy, what do you say to people when they ask about your diet? 
they always, with my American friends, especially one particular one, uh, there was a time that I was fasting the same fasting period. He's actually, he was my manager. And this is particularly dedicated to St. Mary, the Virgin Mary of uh, uh, Virgin Mary, Mother of Jesus. That's dedicated for her. And it's got its own story, but I'm not going to dip into that. So Mark, my manager, then he saw me fasting. At the time, I was just fasting just because my religious practice says so. And I, he asked me and I told him I'm just fasting because my religion said so. And he saw me the my he saw the discipline I was in. I wasn't eating like I was eating. I wasn't doing the things that I do normally. He saw me praying every now and then. I was extremely disciplined in them. It brings myself into my inner self. Fasting is extremely unique. Mm-hmm. So I told him that. Then he changed that to his own benefit. He said that hey Ted, I'm going to fast this time, but I'm going to fast it for my own benefit. Mm-hmm. And he fasted, and he. He didn't tell me what his purpose was, the fasting, what purpose he was fasting for. But eventually, he he got what he wanted. I think he wanted to be promoted to the territory manager. And once he got that, he came back and told me that, Teddy, I fasted. And when I fasted, I prayed that God make me this, give me this position, and He got it. He got so, it. Yeah. Method of manifestation. And since then, he's been fasting. Oh, wonderful, uh, Hamond. What are, you, what are your friends, what are your conversations with American Right, friends? you know, uh, sometimes a serious conversation to sometimes, you know, a comical one. And sometimes, you know, uh, some of the courts, like, you know, uh, I I can recollect one from uh, Judge Bernard Shaw. Like, I do not want uh, to make my stomach a graveyard of dead animals. You know, mm. sometimes there, sometimes I get asked a lot of other questions like, okay, you're just vegetarian. Where do you get your protein from, right? So um, also there's this sense of misconception that, you know, if you're on a vegetarian diet, you do not get enough nutrients and, you know, you're going to go into some kind of a deficiency and then there's, you know, all kinds of other things that is going to happen to you. So the point is, is some lack of education, right? So end of the day, it's a choice one makes, um, be it because of your religion, be it because of your health or because of your spiritual journey that you want to undertake. Um, but there's a lot to discover. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaliole Colonna. We're talking this hour about the physical and spiritual benefits of vegetarianism and veganism. My next guest practices Orthodox Judaism and follows a kosher vegetarian diet as a part of her faith. Faith, Kara Suval, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Thank you. Did you grow up vegetarian? I did not. I became vegetarian when I was 14. What was the decision behind that? Um, I, I think there are so many great reasons to be vegetarian and it was a time in my life when a lot of them sort of came together. So environmental and ecological concerns, concerns about the welfare of animals, um, and a a desire to have the way that I eat every day reflect my values. Um, so I was actually on a, a Jewish summer trip where we were, you know, talking about, you know, saying, uh, grace or, or blessings before you eat and after you eat. Um, and it really captured for me that idea that things that we do every day, that are habits that are part of our day-to-day life, we can use those things to sort of elevate um, who we are as people and our relationship to God. So tell me, even though it was a choice for you, those foundations for it were in your faith as well, right? Yes, absolutely. What does the Torah teach us? Uh, what does the Torah teach about animal treatment and slaughter? Oof, there's a lot. So um, 
there, so I can speak specifically about treating how, to, how we treat animals. There's also a lot of commandments about caring for the earth um, and caring for, for ourselves and making sure that we never dehumanize other people, which I think also um, feeds into what we were talking about a little bit as well. Um, but the, uh, the Jewish tradition, the Torah, the Jewish Bible talks a lot about um, dietary constraints. So um, the rules of kashrut um, and being kosher. So there are different theories about why we have the various different rules, but there's this basic idea that we need to eat in a certain way because God is holy um, and we are holy because we're, we're God's creature. So we need to sort of be intentional. We need to make ourselves holy. That's sort of the, the background motivation. Um, some of the rules of being kosher have to do with um, animal welfare. So both um, what you said, animal slaughter. So making sure when we are killing animals that it is done in a way that is um, causes animals as little amount of pain as possible. Um, there are related, these aren't rules of, of being kosher, but related rules about how we treat animals while they're alive, making sure that they have periods of rest, making sure that they have adequate food. Um, and respecting them as well. Um, there's also some sort of more metaphorical um, concerns in the rules of being kosher. So things like not cooking a kid in its mother's milk. Mm. Uh, maybe there's a real practical reason for that, but to me it's more a metaphorical expression of, um, of understanding that if you are cooking a, a kid in its mother's milk, that's sort of the height of cruelty to use the life-sustaining force of milk to prepare an animal for your consumption. So just really highlighting, at least metaphorically, that there is, there's a level of cruelty and harm in eating animals. Um, and for me, that, that's part of what those kosher rules um, mean and what they signify. I see what you're saying. You know, in our modern culture, we pay a lot of attention now to trauma and anxiety and animals can go through that and feel that as well. You know, Hamont, I'm interested, you know, what comes to your mind when you think about animal treatment? Um, like, like it was just discussed, like there's a trauma that animals go through. Um, and like we're talking about cows earlier, right? So if you drive by uh, a place where they are hosting all the cows and these cows know that they're going to get slaughtered, right? If you hear them cry, uh, these are emotional beings, right? So any emotional beings... Um, and they know that just like humans, right? You know, we know that somebody's going to hurt us, somebody's going to do something. You go through that kind of trauma, right? So all kinds of chemical reactions that take place in them, um, and you know, right up to the uh, time of the death, right? So and human beings putting the meat inside them, um, so those do not go away, right? Mm -hmm. So so from that perspective. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it, it's it's a very traumatic experience. You know, if you have ever driven through one of those uh, one of those places where they're hosting cows to be slaughtered by the treatment of these animals, we're then ingesting their trauma, and it manifests through us. That is correct. You know, in my experience, people who eat a vegetarian or vegan diet, they tend not to overeat, which is something that is sometimes an issue for Americans. We waste a lot of food. Teddy, what can vegetarianism, what can it teach us about moderation and preservation? Khalil, um, in the United States, if I'm not mistaken about the statistics, I think we waste about $160, $160 billion of food every mm. year. Mm. That always reminds you when you fast, you will always be in moderation. The purpose of the fasting is not just to give up something. It is to bring your inner self and your physical self to align together. To do that, you don't overindulge yourself in food. And when you do that, 
you come to your senses, you come to yourself and you'd be functioning. I would be functioning more perfectly than otherwise. When I fast, uh, Hamid, I th- I'm sorry if I missaid your, your name. He said some people say that you don't get nutrition when you are a vegetarian. But to be honest, I get more, more energy and I feel more healthier when I fast. Mm. When I'm away from those foods that we call meat and other poultry products, and I am doing the fasting, I'm more healthier. I wake up early. I feel more energetic. I feel more concentrated on whatever I want to do. So I'd like to say to my listen to your listeners out there, try it, try to fast mm-hmm. and be in moderation. And you will also enjoy after the fasting, after I stay now, I'm about to go to lunch in about an hour or two. I can feel the urge of eating. I really do enjoy it. Otherwise, every day we eat before even our biological cycle requests us to eat. There is a vending machine in our workplace. There is lots of food in the in the fridge. Outside when you get the gas station, we get candy or drink mm-hmm. without even we need it, yeah. before we even need it. So there is no way we can enjoy if we eat that way. You But got- when you fast and you're in moderation, you will really appreciate the value of food. I got to tell you, he is motivating me big time right now. Hey, Mont, what do you want people to know who may be considering a plant-based diet? What do you want them to know? Uh, I want them to know, first of all, like, you know, um, it's not a, a nutrition deficient diet, you know, uh, there's enough nutrition that you get. Um, apart from your health benefits, like all over, you know, every doctor is telling you one of major causes of all the suffering is your red meat. So people, I want them to get away from the red meat. Um, and also from spiritual point of view, if you want to advance yourself, you know, um, and, you know, reduce the animalistic tendencies inside you. Um, it is very helpful to follow a vegetarian diet. So there's, it's definitely worth giving it a try. That was Hemant Rangarajan. He was joined by Teddy Tebodros Munai. Thank you both. Thank you both for being here. Really appreciate talking with you. Pleasure to be here. Thank, Thank you, Glenn. When we come back, we'll explore how a plant-based diet can be an expression of the world as we wish it could be, a world that is sustainable, just, and peaceful. Do you see the world through what you eat? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. And this is Nashville. Our planet has finite resources, and these days, sustainability is more important than ever. Whether we like it or not, what and how we eat will affect our collective fate. Previous guests on the show have told us plant-based is the future, but what will that look like? And can choosing not to eat meat and animal products, will that make the world a better place? Well, let's talk about that. I'd like to introduce my next guests. Mariah Ragland is the owner of Rabical Rabbit, a vegan and soul food restaurant in 12 South. And Mikey Nolchel is a Buddhist teacher and pastoral counselor. Thanks to you both for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Mariah, I'm curious. Did you grow up vegan? No, I didn't. I grew up Muslim, so I didn't eat 
pork or beef and some other animals, um, but I became vegan in college. So what was the light bulb moment that made you decide to not eating, to, to, to discontinue to consume animal products? Yeah, so um, I went to Fisk University, and um, we were walking around the grocery store, me and my friends from TSU, and I was holding a rotisserie chicken the whole time, and uh, we planned on cooking it later and then going to fried chicken Wednesday. And um, just holding that chicken, I was like, I don't know, y'all, this feels like a a baby. So Mm. I put it back, and then later I I still was going to do the whole fried chicken Wednesday, so I had a plate of the fried chicken and the mac and cheese and the greens. And I said, I looked at my friend, I said, you know, I just can't do this anymore. Just I connected like that animal to um to a baby and just making that connection in my mind just I, was, I said no more and I that I was vegetarian then and I became vegan a year later so how did this spiritual connection of your diet how did that express yourself in your life as you grew older after college yeah so uh, like once you make that connection I feel like you just can't go back so um growing up I became a mother and um, I just wanted to instill that same thought into my child, my daughter, Rylan, uh, into just knowing that uh, all beings on this earth matter. And um, to me, or has other people have said that um, God looks at us through the eyes of animals. So um, just taking that and um, eating my morals mm-hmm. is basically how I decided to live. Mm. Now, Mikey, did you grow up practicing Buddhism? Uh, no, I'm a convert Buddhist, and uh, yeah, and uh, well, peace and love. Thanks for having me. What a wholesome conversation! But I do have to say, I'm a little nervous now because I'm sitting right next to Nashville vegan celebrity right here. Oh yeah, the radical rabbit, well known in the Nashville vegan scene right I here. I appreciate so, that. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> but no, I I didn't grow up. Uh, a vegetarian, but it is involved in my family. Um, a little history about me: I, I grew up in an alcoholic family, and in, with my family, we we kind of put on the face. You know, on the inside, we're kind of rotting from the inside out. And with that face, like the my siblings, we were like dying to um, confront the difficulties in our lives because of this pain of being in this alcoholic family, and it just kind of went ignored. And my sister, who's 10 years older than me, found punk rock as her, you know, refuge and community to go to. And I grew up watching my sister go to the punk rock shows. And in punk rock, it's this uh, right up front. Let's look at the suffering of life. Let's look at the pain in life. Let's talk about it. Let's rage about it. Let's do it all together. And within that punk rock scene, that's where I found veganism. And my sister's been vegan for a long time. My brother's vegan. And uh, I think there's something about that beauty that I learned from the punk rock scene as a like a teenager that led me to um, my ethics today. Did that lead you to Buddhism as well? Yes, definitely. So the thing about punk rock, it's willing to confront suffering. Great. And so is Buddhism. The first noble truth is dukkha, is the acknowledgement that there is pain and difficulty and loss in life. But the thing about punk rock is, yeah, the, it, we're confronting pain and the difficulties in life, but Buddhism offers us a solution, mm-hmm. right? That when we are able to be compassionate and kind and understanding of the difficulties in life, we no longer have to suffer. What, is, what does the Buddha have to say about eating meat? I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's a, a tricky topic because 
in the Buddhist path, what we are set out to do is free ourselves from suffering, free ourselves from the cycles of greed, hatred, and ignorance in our own minds, right? So it's a cultivation of our mind that we want to cultivate kindness and compassion and wisdom. And with the Buddhist path, we discover, and you may notice, the way you act may lead you into a great deal of suffering. If you act in harmful ways, your mind is going to be uh, internal hellscape. But if you act in pro-social and kind and caring ways, your mind's going to be a peaceful place. So the Buddhist path doesn't necessarily give us hard, fast rules on the ethical behavior, et- ethical behaviors around food and consumption and meat consumption. It more offers us a mindful explore- exploration on our own consumption and how it affects our own personal suffering within our own mind. And to get into the uh, semantics of what the Buddha taught around meat. He taught not to kill animals. Very clear. Don't kill animals because when you kill an animal, there is that connection and bond that you know that that's a living being that mm-hmm. wants to live and wants to have safety and all of that. And at the same time, the Buddha ate meat. Mm. But the Buddha ate meat, he, he lived freely, right? That he only ate what was freely given. So he would beg for his food. Mm-hmm. And in the, the rule book, for the Buddhist monks and nuns, it was to not eat anything that you know was killed for you, right? If, if somebody's saying, hey, you, you haven't eaten, have some, some meat, and they would eat it. But at the same time, if, if they're having like, oh, there's this cow here, and we're going to kill this cow to feed you, they would say, no, let's, let's not eat that. So um, it is kind of this exploration. In Buddhist practices, we try not to hold to fixed views. Mm. We have to have our views in life. But when we hold to that fixed view of fundamentalism, we find ourselves fighting with one another. I'm right, you're wrong, and then hatred arises in our minds. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Kara yeah. Suval is still with us. She practices Orthodox Judaism and follows a vegetarian diet. Kara, when you talked with our producer, you said... Your dietary ethos is an expression of the world you want to live in. Tell me, what does that world look like? Absolutely. So um, just to, to go back briefly in time to the beginning of creation, um, <laughs> the, the Torah, the Jewish Bible says that at the beginning of creation, Adam and Eve, the first humans, were vegetarian, that they were created to care for the earth and the animals and, and told that they could eat a vegetarian diet. It was only after humanity sort of descended in terms of their morality and ethics after the, the flood that is, um, according to the Torah, when God said, OK, fine, you can eat meat, but here are some rules, here are some constraints. Um, and then there's a strain of, of Jewish thought that says in, in the Olam Haba, in the world to come, in the future world, um, which could be a messianic age, it could be a world we're working on, um, it, it means different things to different people, everyone and everything will be vegetarian, the animals and the people. Mm. Um, and it's a really powerful I- idea to me. There's so much imperfect about the world that we live in, so much um, disregard for for life and for creation and the idea that in this this future world that we're working towards um, will be vegetarian um, and we will act will structure life and will will make it possible that we can live without inflicting harm on ourselves and on each other is a really meaningful idea to me and it's one that I I just love having my diet be this sort of daily reminder and way to plug in to that to that earnest, earnest desire that we be moving toward that world, a world where we 
um, create less harm, where we live more freely and fully with each other. So having that built into my day-to-day life is really meaningful for me. Um, and I think for so many people, they think of vegetarianism as being like, okay, you're denying yourself this because of these values, or you're mm-hmm. denying yourself that because you believe in this. Um, and for me, having that religious and spiritual connection to it, it's it's not about denial. It's about positive choices and building that desire for for creating a new and more just world into my day-to-day life. In addition, a spiritual growth, if you will. Yes. Mariah, how do you feel? Yeah, uh, I agree. A lot of people say that when you do vegan or vegetarian that you're losing a lot of things, but you're gaining a lot of um, like different insight. Like there's a whole world outside of the the traditional American diet. There's a whole world outside of um, man kills animal, eat the animal. You know, there's like man can care for the animals, man can care for the world and care for the earth and um, still survive. You know, a lot of people tell me like, well... Someone told me that, um, like, there's no way I can have a vegan kid. She's not going to survive. But it just shows the mindset of how a lot of the world works. And a lot of people think that it's not even possible. But once once you're in it and you realize that the vegan diet or the vegetarian diet is totally different, like, we have things. I have a shirt that says, talk vegan to me. And it's just Hmm. a whole bunch of words that some people might not know, like jackfruit or tempeh or... um, Mm-hmm. mac and cheese like we spell it with a z instead of an s it's like it's a whole another language and it sounds like it's not approachable but it is you know once you're in it and once you learn and um yeah yeah nothing to be afraid of yeah exactly if you're just tuning in this is nashville and i'm your host Khalil colona we're talking this hour about vegetarianism and veganism so uh, you know as living beings as what we i think the entire conversation admits and shows that we're all connected but food sometimes can be something that's exclusionary. Access to healthy foods, often it comes down to socioeconomic status and opportunity. You know, so Mikey, tell me, no, actually, Mariah, you know, with your with your restaurant, with what you're doing, tell me, what are you doing to make the food that you're making, this vegan food, inclusive to everyone? Yeah, so um, just talking about how how to make the food, like, more approachable. So I make food that I grew up on, um, so... It's vegan soul food, so yams, mac and cheese, greens. Mm-hmm. Instead of fried chicken, we do fried jackfruit. So uh, we just make sure that everything is approachable and everything that is, of course, delicious, you know. So yeah, yeah, just making sure that people aren't afraid to try it. And, you know, when I'm in the kitchen cooking, um, some people come in, like, they won't even know it's vegan. It just looks like food and looks like good food, which is, I think— what veganism is doing now in 2022. How are you going about convincing, you're talking, you're making a soul food diet, you know, soul food. How are you convincing African-Americans to get down with this? Yeah, so honestly, I don't do any convincing. So I'll I'll give you an example. Um, I cook in a shared kitchen and there is a um, another company that cooks in front of us and that company is mainly African-Americans. And um, like, previously incarcerated um, African-Americans. So they'll come in and uh, they'll be like, yeah, she cooks vegan soul food. And like, vegan? I'll never try that ever. Mm-hmm. I literally give it like three weeks and they're like begging for the food. Like, can I have some more? Can you make me a plate? Make me a plate. So <laughs> yeah. honestly, like, you just let the food do the talking or you let your spirit and like who you are do the talking. Like, once you go vegan or vegetarian, people will see that like there's a light around you. And then um, I feel like they just feel that. You know, my uncle, I sat in a cafe with him one time, and he was like, he's very passionate. He's vegetarian at the time. He's like, um, 
as soon as someone walked in, it was like, she was like, that she, she's vegan. I can see it. I can see the light or vegetarian. I can see the light. <laughs> and um, she ended up being vegetarian. So I feel like sometimes you can just, you can see that, um, not saying that we're like higher than mighty or, you know, you know, God's walking around. But <laughs> sometimes you can just feel like the difference in like, like um, you said, um, when you eat a different way or you eating something that wasn't harmed or something that wasn't killed or like, you know, mm-hmm. screaming before it died, you just kind of, you feel you, your spirit's different. Mm-hmm. Now, Mikey, you mentioned that in your practice of Buddhism that you want to get rid of stagnant and religious beliefs. So mm-hmm. how do you think we can approach food in a much more inclusive way? Oh, yeah, the the Buddha taught this lesson called Ahipasako, which means go and see for yourself. And to see what we we're talking about, this joy of renouncing meat. And, and then we even say like self-esteem is built by doing esteemable acts. And it feels really good to follow an ethical code, a moral code, and eat in a way that's in line with that. So even from a like an ethical place, we kind of light up. Mm. But then at the same time, you know, people make like great vegan food, radical rabbit, what's up, you thank know? You, you. And, <laughs> and and when we actually enjoy uh, certain foods, like I talk about, like we got into the lobby, what were we talking about? We were talking about food and how yeah. we're excited about food and how great it is. Anytime I'm around vegans and vegetarians, we're just bonding over what restaurant you go to and what are you eating, what recipes, and it's almost like... Um, that community aspect to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself is mm-hmm. just so attractive mm-hmm. and and that like i can just meet somebody and they say oh yeah what's up i'm i'm vegetarian we're the conversations there we're already connecting and bonding what about what about the stereotypes and tropes mm-hmm. that sometimes come with veganism you know we get the self-righteous and the angry yeah. vegan stereotypes that's probably the most popular one mm-hmm. what are people misunderstanding Mm-hmm. about vegans. Yeah, it's tough. And I think that comes along with any set of belief system that we get self-righteous. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think um, that when I say self-esteem is built by doing esteemable acts, sometimes we get too much self-esteem and we end up really self-identifying with this identity that I am correct. Mm-hmm. And if everybody was else was like me, the world would be such a better place. So I must destroy and dismiss and get rid of the people that disagree with me. And that's just a fundamental flaw of where we're at in the United States today, that there's so much uh, fighting with between people and they feel self-righteous because they self-identify so hard with their belief systems. And they it, it's, it's this illusion that we can destroy the other side and then everything will be all better. And in a Buddhist way of viewing things, it's like, it's not so much that we have different views. It's that we hate each other because Mm -hmm. of our different views. And to be real, yeah, I've been a self-righteous vegan. I've yelled at people. I've done the protests and and I've tried to destroy the other side. What did that lead me? A lot of depression, to be honest. Mm -hmm. A lot of like isolation that the world is different than me. And I'm not a participant of this meat-eating world and what a terrible place to live. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so maybe we can live in a world that allows all views to be in in a loving mm-hmm. environment. Right? Now, Kara, I wonder if this is about viewing the practice of eating as a spiritual matter rather than just a function of maintaining life. Um, you know, to go about eating as something that's sacred. That's it's kind of feels like the theme of the entire conversation this hour. Does that how does that resonate with you? 
Um, it very much resonates. And I think um, whether someone chooses to be vegetarian or vegan or, or not, building moments into your day-to-day life, your everyday, your habits, just sort of who you are in a day-to-day um, way that really make you feel elevated and connected to your values is is really meaningful. I think, um, again, you can, you know, if you're concerned about ecological issues, there are ways to do that uh, aside from, you know, adopting a, a certain strict diet. Though, again, I feel like I've hopefully expressed a lot of, a lot of joy in, in choosing a vegetarian diet, but I think finding ways um, to, to elevate ourselves in our, our day-to-day is really meaningful. Um, and for me, my, my diet, both be keeping kosher and being vegetarian is, is really meaningful because it's a way that I get to practice those values mm. multiple times every day. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Teddy mentioned earlier, how excited he is to eat his next meal, how happy he is, how that brings a sense of calm and gratitude. But, you know, last question, we've got a minute left. Mariah, how can Nashville kind of expand this philosophy of what we've been talking about? How can we expand the philosophy and understanding of vegetarianism and veganism beyond just restaurants offering more options for people? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think just continuing to talk to people like you were talking about stereotypes and the angry vegan. If you know that someone is a uh, vegan, don't be scared to talk to them, ask them more questions. Or if you're a vegan, just like talk. don't be scared to talk and connect with people that aren't and um, just don't stay within that bubble, vegan or vegetarian bubble. Yeah. Just keep expanding and talking to people and connecting. Keep on opening ourselves up to each other experiences, being grateful for the meals that we do have. Exactly. I think is a key to all of this. Mm-hmm. Wow. This has been an absolutely amazing conversation. It's food for thought and food for ourselves because I'm getting hungry. <laughs> I'm looking forward to lunch. My pleasure to have my guests on the show today. Mariah Ragland, owner of Radical Rabbit, vegan soul food business owner. She was joined by Kara Suval and Mikey Nolchel. Thank you all for being here with us. Really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks. Thanks Thank you. Here. Thanks for having us. Thank you all for tuning in today. Special thanks to Bob Bernstein and Shushu. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Tasha A.F. Limley. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. Special shout out to Tasha, who's moving on to a new adventure this year. And this is her last episode with us for now as a producer. We want to thank her for her dedicated and amazing work. And, you know, we're good. We're going to miss you around here, Tasha. Thank you so much. The masterminds behind our theme music are Larange and Namir Blade. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.